Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 25th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we check in on a startup cannabis company in Mississippi. Then a standout Alabama school superintendent is headed to New Orleans. And why the Gulf Coast has become ground zero in a battle over who gets to use America's train tracks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Cannabis companies are ready to capitalize on a new Mississippi law that allows the drug for medical purposes. Right now, though, it is still very much illegal that makes ramping up to meet demand difficult. Kurt McAfee is with Mockingbird Holdings, which is set to become one of the largest marijuana providers in the state. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. We're in our... uh almost like negative phase one point. We're still building, we're still getting our building flushed out. We're getting everything uh, completed. We have, uh, we have a very small staff at this point. We're trying to get people, you know, we have to deal with regulations in terms of the requirements for staffing. Uh, we have some stuff, we have some regs already kind of, the requirements we're kind of shooting over the moon. So everybody that works for us right now is already like super qualified. So, so, when, the, so when we have to get them qualified officially, they'll, they'll be they're ready to go. Um, we're just preparing for day one. Uh, we're getting everything ready. We have no seeds or anything on site right now. We have, we're just getting our rakes in place, getting our rooms ready, getting everything ready to go. What all will y'all be doing? Uh, we're going to be so we're vertically integrated. So we'll be doing everything you can get a license for. We're going to be doing all that. Uh, we're going to be growing. We're going to be cultivating. We're going to be uh, processing. We're going to be getting rid of the biomass. We're going to try to get some dispensaries going. Um, right now, our focus is trying to get our vertically integrated piece going. So from seed to however you want to use it, you know, from flour, gummy, whatever you want to use it as, cart, whatever, from literal seed to that point. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes into vertical integrations? You know, a lot of businesses in the state that I've talked to so far are just going to be doing one individual part, whether it be cultivation, distribution, or uh, point of sale. How much work goes into being able to do all those in, under the same roof, potentially? A lot. Uh, we have a lot of hands on deck. To, to We have a lot of hands, a lot of specific skill sets that allow us to focus on 10 things at once, right? So when you have somebody, we have, we have people who focus on just the seeds and the mothers and the clones, and that's all they do all day long 
say, hey, we're going to do that. We have people planned out to do our kitchen stuff. There's specific kitchen staff. They're like a professional kitchen staff because you have to have the regulations that require you to have the most professional kitchens, and they have to do that specific to their skill set. We don't overlap a lot because we have to have people who are good at what they do in order to have a very integrated company. It's like 10 companies in one, so you have to have like 10, you know, a loose number, but you have to have like 10 different people who have 10 specific skill sets who can do those things to a, to a very high degree of our specification. And I imagine y'all are having to jump through extra hoops because of all the regulations that are coming out. It's a circus. So every, every time a, a red comes out, whatever I'm doing, I stop it. I, I, I tell my admin, cancel my meetings because we have to focus on, let's see what's coming down now because it may, it may change. Um, everything we, we're doing is kind of, we're dancing on the tightrope, kind of see, make sure it didn't, you know, they don't, they, don't, they don't kick us off of there because we're trying to make sure we stay within the lines of whatever. We're shooting over the moon for regulation. We're shooting over the moon for everything we do to make sure that it's very specific. We're, whatever they have, we're going to be 10 times. If they need a 9, we're a 10. If they need 8, we're, we're a 9.5. We're going to make sure we're way above whatever they require. So if we have to pull back some, that's a lot easier than having to ramp, ramp up again and, and do it from you – know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a former athlete – it's easier to slow down if you're running too fast and it is to try to speed back up. So we'd much rather be going too fast and have to pull back some. What has it been like as you've seen new regulations come out? Has it been um, just increasing of older potential regulations, or is it entirely new regulations that you might not have thought of? Both. So it's a little bit – it's three parts of it. One is like uh, they're revamping old stuff, kind of tweaking it. One is brand new. Here it is. And another version is they're pulling back on some things. So some things are super hard and super tough, and they're pulling back on it. They're like, okay, well, not so much. Some things are going to go, oh, well, we thought that, but now it's this. And some things are like, okay, I know that, I know you haven't been thinking about this. This is brand new. So it's three different tiers of – three different versions of, re- of regulation change, and every week is always something different. I sit back literally just wait until that happens, and I give it to my team and say, let's approach this from that standpoint and see how we can see how we can attack it if people are interested in getting into the medical marijuana industry but not necessarily investing in it themselves just working in the industry what are y'all looking for what would be a good candidate a good candidate uh it depends on what you want to do right so everybody has a different skill set whatever your job is now we can probably relate it to something in the cannabis industry um if you want to do cultivation lots of retail workers former construction former construction guys are pretty much really high tier they're, they're like prime because they can come in it's easier than construction but it's some of the same skill set it's a lot of turning screws a lot of fixing tables a lot of lights and a lot of things like that but it's but it, it translates so easily to form of construction if you're a retail you can do that retail translates directly to dispensaries of course right if you, if you sell clothes you can you can kind of get your knowledge up and then and then try to translate over to, over to cannabis because it, it translates directly over it's not a hard brick wall around cannabis it's a it's because no every new state has their it's a brand new industry for every state. So nobody here knows what to do. I'm, a, I'm an HR guy by trade. So my, my job translates directly over. A lot of people's jobs don't translate directly over. Um, so you may have to find something that works for you. I would say for the average person, Mississippi, our rate of pay ain't that great, right? So we've got a lot of retail workers, a lot of people who make about between that that sweet range of like, you know, 10, and 15, 17 bucks an hour. There's a lot of jobs that translate directly over to cannabis that, kind of, that can, you can fall right into and, and be successful. And then lastly, can you tell us a little bit about Mockingbird? Are you all going to be a Mississippi Native company? Yes. Or- yes, uh, we're a Mississippi Native company. Uh, we, we well meet our 35% of our uh, – we, we really – we probably double that as far as uh, terms of ownership. Um, our ownership team is uh, homegrown. Um, I am homegrown. A lot of we, – we try to hire homegrown. Some of our talent is sourced, you know, of course, because you need the best talent, period. So we, so we do source from out of state because some people are just really good at what they do, and we want the best talent. But uh, most of our management team is homegrown. I am from here. Uh, our whole thing is try to lift the state up. You can't do that by poaching people from everywhere else. You're trying to get people here. 
year and get a, and get a better opportunities. That's Kurt McAfee of Mockingbird Holdings. Coming up, a standout Alabama school superintendent heads to New Orleans. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. When the local school board in Selma, Alabama, hired a new superintendent in 2017, the district had been in trouble for years. Avis Williams promised to turn things around, and she did. Now Williams is heading to New Orleans, where she's been selected to lead the country's only all-charter school system. From our partner station, WWNO in New Orleans, Aubrey Uhas traveled to Selma to learn more about Williams and her impact on the city's schools. Growing up in Salisbury, North Carolina in the 1970s, Avis Williams was a typical middle child, an overachiever and a problem solver. I was a bookworm, used to love to read, and the only time I ever got in trouble in school was when I was trying to read a novel instead of paying attention to what the teacher was teaching. It was uh, Christine (laughs) by Stephen King. But while her good grades and bookishness may have suggested that everything at home was all right, it wasn't. And so part of my reading was pouring myself into something where I could, could just escape because home life wasn't so great. Her family lived in poverty, and her father was abusive. At school, no one intervened or took an interest in her. No guidance counselor ever spoke to me about going to college. So she joined the Army, even though she wanted to be a teacher. While she was away at basic training, her father murdered her mother. Williams says even though it's hard to talk about, she shares this story because it helps explain her approach to education. Part of the challenge is, you know, we've got children and families that have lost hope. You know, they they are living in poverty and their parents and their parents' parents have lived in, in poverty and that's all they know. One way Williams has tried to give students and families hope is by listening to them. When she meets with students, she always asks the same two questions. What are your hopes and dreams and what do you need from your school? Did you guys know what hopes and dreams mean? What's what's a hope? Something that you're wishing for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's a dream? Something that you've been thinking about for a long time. Yes. Alana, a third grader, says when she grows up, she wants to become a dancer and move to L.A. Lower Alabama. Are you going to California? (laughs) Oh, the other L.A. As a black woman, Williams is a rarity among public school superintendents, the vast majority of whom are white men. Selma is one of the smallest and poorest cities in Alabama's Black Belt. The public school system enrolls less than 3,000 kids. More than 98% are black, and 90% are considered low income. Downtown, storefronts and warehouses line the waterfront near the historic Edmund Pettus Bridge, where state troopers attacked peaceful civil rights marchers more than 50 years ago. Columbus Mitchell, a local tour guide and public school parent, stands in the shade talking to a small group of tourists. You're from Selma. I am. Yes, sir. He says while some parents were initially wary of Williams since she wasn't from Selma, she earned their trust quickly. Some parents in New Orleans have similar concerns. Mitchell says they have nothing to fear. So I can assure the people there in Louisiana that they're getting someone that's really going to work hard for them. and someone that really knows 
what it's like to connect with people. And she has that touch, I think, that's really, is almost like the it factor, you know, when you see it. And she has that in space. Across town, people have nothing but nice things to say about the outgoing superintendent. One teacher says the thoughtful emails William sends daily inspire her. Another says she's the reason a water-damaged library was finally restored. They're excited for her new job in New Orleans, but sad to see her go. I appreciate you. I miss you. I miss you, too. When Williams arrived five years ago, the district had a bad reputation and was under the shadow of state intervention. Today, the city's schools are celebrated for their attention to mental health, focus on restorative justice, and high-quality academics. All of our elementary schools have robotics teams. We encourage coding. We've got esports. While all of Selma's schools are STEM-oriented, each has its own niche. There's one focused on social justice and another on entrepreneurship. Williams' approach to specialized schools could be a sign she's prepared to lead in New Orleans, which only has charter schools. Another big priority for her is equity, which she says has to do with both access and rigor. The access is access to rigorous curriculum that we're not, you know, sugarcoating or dumbing it down because our babies are in poverty or because, you know, they they might be below grade level. Some of them are, you know, two or three grades below grade level, and they still deserve access to a rigorous, high-quality education. Williams says she was attracted to New Orleans because it shares many of the same struggles as Selma. She wants to bring hope to families there as well. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Aubrey Uhas in Selma, Alabama. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. Still ahead, while the Gulf Coast has become ground zero in a battle over who gets to use America's train tracks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi Gulf Coast hasn't had passenger rail service since Hurricane Katrina. Rail company Amtrak says it's now close to greenlighting a new line that would run from Mobile to New Orleans with stops in the Mississippi cities of Biloxi, Gulfport, Pascagoula, and Bay St. Louis. But that plan has been met with opposition from freight company CX. S, or rather CSX, I guess I got that right. They say the route would disrupt its shipping operations along the Gulf Coast. The two sides have taken their dispute to the Federal Service Transportation Board. It's expected to rule on the matter within about a month. Knox Ross is chairman of the Southern Rail Commission. He tells Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane the clash between Amtrak and CXS is a microcosm of longstanding tensions between freight and passenger rail providers. Part of the formation of Amtrak back in the early 1970s was that the federal government, through the taxpayer basically, took over the provision of passenger, serv- passenger rail service in this country for the most part in exchange for relieving the freight rail companies of their obligation to provide passenger rail service. Part of their charters when they were formed, and uh, out of that they got millions of acres of land and all sorts of developable property to build rail lines. Part of the federal charter required them to provide passenger service. 
and uh, they came to Congress saying we could no longer sustain that. Uh, we got to find somewhere else to do it. So the federal government took over that that responsibility through through the form of Amtrak. So as part of that, Amtrak has a right of access as part of that contract that says they can operate a train over freight rail infrastructure in the country. Now, as a part of that, they cannot negatively impact the current operation of freight rail on that line, so improvements have to be made to be able to do that. And basically that's where the dispute lies, is that CSX and Norfolk Southern, over which uh, this train would run two to three miles in New Orleans, have different ideas over what improvements have to be made to reliably run both freight and passenger service over this line than does Amtrak and the Federal Railroad Administration. And they could not come to a, to an agreement on that. And so the Service Transportation Board is established by the federal government to hear disputes that cannot be resolved any other way. Now, so you say this board is really the only entity that can resolve this dispute, but it's a dispute that is being increasingly fought also in the public square. I have no doubt that you're aware of the fact that Amtrak recently installed a webcam to monitor right. some train tracks in Bay St. Louis right. to prove right. that relatively right. few CSX trains were traversing those tracks on a daily basis. Why is Amtrak pulling, you know, at the risk of using a slightly word, loaded word, stunts like this? And is this something you support Amtrak doing? No, I, I think it's important because... The issue really isn't whether trains can run, passenger trains can run reliably over the railroad between Mobile and New Orleans. There's a lot of evidence that they can with very little infrastructure improvement. The issue is not Mobile and New Orleans. The issue is the nationwide expansion plans that Amtrak had. And I think that Amtrak views this as not not really a, a an issue of whether the trains can run between Mobile and New Orleans. It is what how does this impact any expansion fast around the country? You know, if if Amtrak were forced to spend I think the latest numbers five hundred million dollars to improve track between Mobile and New Orleans on, on a fairly lightly operated line, which I think that's what they were trying to prove with the uh, 24-hour cameras they were putting out. What does this mean where there is a lot of track, but where the demand for passenger rail is much higher, where the population centers are much larger? What does that mean there? But what it means is, is you basically have... have for all intents and purposes, block any expansion of passion around the country. How can Mississippi ensure, and how can you ensure as chairman of the, the Southern Rail Commission, that Mississippi doesn't become sort of the rail equivalent of a flyover state in this equation in which you have a lot of people going back and forth from Mobile to New Orleans, the two biggest cities on this proposed line, without actually making those stops in Mississippi, but just right. passing through them? And, and, and that, that's interesting. That's where we really, the Southern Rail Commission really started our push, not only on Mobile to New Orleans, but we're currently working very 
closely with uh, Mississippi DOT and Louisiana DOTD to do Meridian to Dallas-Fort Worth. And we, where a lot of this came from, where our real push and our real efforts came, is we attended a Federal Railroad Administration meeting in Dallas, Texas, many years ago. And they put together some maps and showed where what the city pairs people travel between and what people do and how people get around the country. And what we discovered out of that is that Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana were turning into pure fly, flyover, pass-through country between the mega regions of Dallas and Atlanta. You know, if you're familiar with the mega region concept. And we said, we've got to do something or we're going to get completely left behind. And so out of that, these these ideas have been out there for a while, but out of that was really focused to say we have got to do something to connect ourselves to these regions. So on the Mississippi coast, our four cities after Katrina have invested millions of dollars in their downtowns, and I, and I would submit have done a very effective job of bringing themselves back, not just you think about you get you're in Bay St. Louis. Bay St. Louis is a marvelous tourist town that is immensely walkable, uh, and you can come in on the trains. The beautiful depot. They're going to have golf carts to pick you up off the train to take you to the local bed and breakfasts and hotels that are built downtown. The Baytown Inn is a great example. The New Pearl is there. Uh, it would attract tremendous amounts of weekend traffic or long weekend traffic from New Orleans and having a, a, a train that comes by twice a day makes that work. You think about Gulfport with its downtown, Artis Alley, Biloxi, same, same scenario. You've got you know, the casinos right there. You've got an invigorated downtown there. You've got Ocean Springs right there by it with all the festivals that they have. And then Pascagoula is a little different attraction in that they are more into nature tourism. So you have an awful lot of ecotourism that comes there. But on the other hand, it creates in our four cities a much more livable place because then you you have great access to all the wonderful things that are offered in Mobile and New Orleans. Uh, you know, the cruise ship industry, ability to travel wherever you want to go, go down to the Saints game, go to uh, all basketball games, all the different things that are offered there. It's sort of that final piece of the puzzle is that all of these cities have done a fantastic job of taking advantage of the resources offered them after Katrina to rebuild themselves and, and the outside investment that has come in is tremendous. Now, we really need people to come there and we need people to live there, which they are. And this just makes it even better than it was before. Knox Ross is chairman of the Southern Rail Commission. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPP Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio coming up at 9. It's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Make sure you have an umbrella handy today.